go back to the scripture again. Who is it is so? The church is the conscience of the family. The church is the conscience of a family. The church is the conscience of society, the community. The church is the conscience of the government. The church speaks into the conscience of the family, the community, the government. The church does. But when the church is silent, then the world is lost for direction and don't know which way to go. And the church, we have withdrawn ourselves from many activities of the world. When I say activities of the world, let me illustrate it this way. There was a time in the gay lifestyle, people thought if you were with the right counselor, you would be set free. Counselors and psychologists have come to a point that they cannot change that lifestyle, so now they just agree with that lifestyle, and they are the ones who started. That's how they're born. And society bought into it because that's what psychologists begin to say. That's their natural affection. That's how they were born. That's who they are. What we, under, what we have to understand, when we turn things over to a secular world, the secular world only has the wisdom of this world. And when it cannot solve a problem, then it says, this is the norm, this is natural. And it is the church that has to speak to the problem, to the situation, and say, this is what God says about it. But we have hushed. We've been quiet. We don't want to get involved. And as we looked in Proverbs 24 last week, in our verse 12, we don't want to see it. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to speak it. And God says, it's not that you don't know. We know the problems of this world. We know the problems that are looking in our own families, in the life of our children. We know the problems, but the question is, are we willing to speak the word of God into that problem, into that life? And that's the church. We speak. We don't run away from the problem. We speak directly to the problem. We speak directly to the people involved in the problem. We become the conscience. We prick at that conscience. We're the one that has to challenge. Oftentimes, we think we're the ones being challenged, and we are. And Satan is challenging us. And he tells us in Ephesians 6, boy, that the battle we're in is not against flesh and blood. And we need to understand that. We are the soldiers of God. We are the army of God. We are the people of God. We are the church of God. And therefore, because of who we are, we are called 
to do battle with a world that has a system that is a falling system to falling men. We have to understand that. And we are the only ones that are the light and the salt. We're the only ones who can bring light into darkness. We're the only ones who can really bring healing into life. We're the only one who can resurrect that which walks around and looks like it's alive, but it really is dead. We're the only one who can bring real life to them or breathe real life into them. We cannot do just one part of the work. We have to do the complete work. Now, we talked about Matthew 23, 23, the Lord talks to the Pharisees about what they neglected and what they should have done. And the church is like the Pharisees in many ways. We take the easy work and leave the hard work alone. But yet our God says nothing's impossible with him. So why, one of the reasons we don't really see God work because we don't challenge the hard things of life. If we really challenge the hard things of life, We'll see God work because he's the only one who can work it out. He's the only one that can fix it. He's the only one who can solve it. Okay? And somewhere we got to come back to that. That God alone, he's the only one who can solve it. Our job is to take his message to a dying world. That he can. That he can. That he can. And the scripture tells us there's nothing too hard for God. We'll quote that. Question is, do we believe that? Do we believe it? Okay. The church must be that voice that is in the families. Whenever you see a dysfunctional family, you will see a family without the word of God. Whenever you see a dysfunctioning community, you see a community without the word of God. Whenever you see a government going astray, you see a government without the word of God. And the surprising part about all of this, all of them will state, I know God. And the issue is, if you know him, then follow him. Too many of us are declaring we know him, and yet we're not following him. We have to come to that place where that we're willing to follow the Lord. Now, we'll get back to it. The church makes an appeal. I'll cover the first part here. The church that makes an appeal with one voice. Why the one voice? Is because we are in agreement with God's word that this is right. The church has come to a place to settle that it doesn't matter if you're married or not, just as long as you care for each other. 
So everybody comes to church home, not really married, two, three kids, four kids, five kids, and we say, it don't matter. It really does matter. Why? Because God says that's not your lifestyle. And what we don't teach is this. You will give an account for living that way. Why? Marriage is a picture of the relationship of Jesus Christ and his church, the people of his church. Marriage pictures that. It images that. And that's why Jesus says to love your wife as I love what? The church. Now, when you do the opposite, you're saying what he says is not important. You're saying what he says really don't count. We were at a wedding yesterday. And those young people demonstrated the love of Christ. When his father prayed, he brought Christ into that, Jesus into that, witness to the people in his prayer. Everything about that wedding yesterday was about Jesus Christ. And somehow we need to develop that more. More. I was sharing with the couple who I'm counseling now about marriage, and I asked them this question. What do you want the people to hear? What do you want the people to know? And they shared with me. And they asked me, well, Pastor, what do you really mean by that question? I said, well, I'm going to write your vows out differently. I'm going to write them in such a way that we're going to start with Adam and Eve. We want people to know the one who created Adam, the one who created Eve, that father brought that woman to Adam. The father did. The one who created her. The one who gave her life. And we're going to go through scripture allowing people to know, even in Deuteronomy, when a charge comes against the, the wife, that it's the father who speaks. Because while she was in her father's house, he is the one who protected her and kept her. And he is the one who defends her honor. He doesn't defend her honor. The father does. And we're going to come on over into Numbers chapter 30 then. And we're going to let people know there's an exchange between the father and the husband. And then we're going to end up in Ephesians that you are to love her as Christ loves his church. And what we're going to try to do is paint a picture of marriage all the way through Scripture. Why? Because there will be people who will be coming, as I shared with them, that might just be shacking up, just living together. They never heard the real purpose of marriage. And if people always want to say, well, there was no court back then, there was no judge back then to marry them, 
It was in the most high court, the court of the living God, and was made by the highest judge of all, Jesus, by God himself. We need to understand when God speaks through his word, he really is speaking truth. 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 Now, you and I have to decide, do we accept the truth or do we reject it? We can't pick and choose what we want to believe. We have to understand why we believe. As I said last week, if you say you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you hate his church, something's wrong. Something's wrong. You cannot separate on what the world has been trying to do and what Satan has been trying to do is separate Jesus Christ and the church. Jesus said he would build his church. Why? His people needed a place not just to gather, but to grow, to learn, to be encouraged, to be built up. And he said he would build his church that his people would have a place to go and to learn of him and to grow in him. Which is better, to stand outside the church and throw rocks at the church or to come into the church, even though you think it's a messed up church? At least go in there and try to bring some correction to it. Don't stand outside and just talk about it and throw rocks at it. Come inside and begin to help try to make corrections. The church, yes, if you look at the history of the church, man's way of church, boy, the church has been messed up. But still look at all the good that the church has done compared to what all the messed up stuff you will read about. Yes, the church has caused wars, and there are many wars, and people say the worst wars there are are religious wars. really show me a scripture that says Jesus tells you to go kill somebody because of this. Or you kill somebody because they don't believe the way you believe. Or you hate them because they don't believe the way you do. He does tell us to witness. He does tell us to love them. He does tell us to be good to them. He does tell us to be kind to them. He does tell us to speak gentle words to them. See, I don't have to defend God. God's big enough to defend himself. He has to defend me. I don't have to protect him. He protects me. And we have to understand that he has allowed his church to exist that his people have a place to come to without being threatened and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The church makes an appeal as one voice to a secular world concerning what is right. Let's 
to do, we have to ask, are we really doing it? Are we really seeking into our community, into the lives of people, into families? Are we really doing that? Now, the church that needs everyday problems of life to secular specialists and limit God to matters of only eternity is not developing a church that deals with real life. The church must deal with real life. And the real problems of life, whether it be an alcoholic, whether it be an adulteress, whether it be a homosexual or gay, a gambler, an abuser, the church must deal with life. The church cannot close its eyes, it cannot close its ears, it cannot close its mouth. For in the word of God is the word of life. And only by the word of God can anyone correct their life. You cannot make them change their life but as the word of God goes into a person's heart, into their mind, then the Holy Spirit somehow does something in the transformation of a person. Because that word is a living word. And it goes in and it cuts and it begins to divide between what is really right and really wrong. But the word has to get in there. The word has to do the work in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are that voice that allows that word to get into the mind, into the heart of those who don't really know the Lord or believe in the Lord. We cannot leave it up to a secular world to solve these problems because they can't solve it. They can't solve it. We know abortion is wrong. But in one sense, every church should have a goal to try to have a housing where mothers who are really struggling with this can come and see God's view. And if we have to, support that person. If we have to, help them to adopt that child out if we have to provide for that individual, for that life to live. Our problem is we always think about we ain't got enough money. We can't do this. We can't do that. Understand this principle. God always supports his children. We don't know how. And that's the mystery of it all. But God always finances his program by all rights, Aquin Alliance Fellowship should not be here. But God supports his program and what he wants done. And somehow, we got to have a heart for that. 
We, we can talk about pregnant women. We can talk about people having abortion. We can talk about it, but the question is, what are we doing about it? We can talk about wayward men. We can talk about men who lose their tempers. We can talk about men who want to abuse women. We can talk about men who father a child over here, a child over there, a child over there. But the question is, what are we doing about it? We will all conclude that it's wrong. And somebody will be saying, well, we can't handle all those problems. You're right. We can't handle them all. But we can handle something. Something. But we leave it to the world. Go to Acts chapter 20. And go to that verse 27. And you have to ask yourself, what is Paul talking about? And he's talking to the Ephesian elders or pastors or leaders. Come on down into verse 23 with me first as we walk over to 27. He said, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Whenever you step out and trust God and believe the Lord, hardships await you. Because if you think you're just going to walk out here and do something for the Lord without Satan pushing back, you've made a big mistake. Satan's going to push back at the church. He's going to push back at the people of God. And every time you try to do right, he's going to push back. And it makes it so easy to do wrong than it is to do right. And it is correct when people say, it's hard to do right. Why? Our whole society makes it hard to do the right thing. Paul says, yes, I'm compelled to go to Jerusalem in that verse 22, but he says the Holy Spirit has witnessed to him that prison and hardships are facing me However, I consider my life worth nothing. How many of you have come to that point? It's called, in other words, dying to self. If you've never died to yourself, you do very little for the Lord. The Lord says, he that loveth little has already died. But there are those that loveth much, and they do much, because they really do love the Lord. But he who has been forgiven little, loveth little. But he who has been forgiven much, loveth much. And the whole process is, we come to this point that somehow, if I do one little thing for God, I've served him, and that's enough. And Paul says, my whole life is worthless but yet meaningful to God. How many of you value your life so much that there's no time for Jesus to do anything? Because everything about life is me. 
everything about life is me. Well, since I'm wondering, I'm going to hit a short spot. Follow me in thought. If God is the one who has blessed me, and God is the one who has provided for me, and God is the one who has called you to have life or have whatever you have, there's a word in the Bible that God uses. What is it called for us who are believers? And we believe that everything we have comes from God. Uh, what's that word? Start with it, Pastor. Pardon? Stewardship. How many of you are really stewards of God's blessing and God's wealth? steward of whatever I have. But all that I have, you say, belong where? To God. Now stay with me. Because this is where we'll leave people tonight. If I am a steward, when and at what point do I stop being a steward? belongs to who? And yet, we'll leave all God's blessings. Now, this may not be your children. I'm not trying to say whose children are this or this, that. We will leave everything to devils who will spend all God's blessings on the drugs, the alcohol, the women chasing, and everything else. And we let the church keep on struggling when we could help the church even do a much more powerful ministry if we just followed the rules of 10%. That's all. And that's all 10% is. It's just a rule. You won't go to hell because you don't give 10%. It's a starting place. That's all. And you may be even able to give more. And you have the freedom to give more. But God just says, let's start here. And he won't send you to hell if you don't do it. But we are saying one thing, it's all his. But upon time of leaving here, we don't act like any of it's his or that he gave it to us. who say they love the Lord and his work will just leave something. What a difference it would make. One thing that it is coming to be true, as the church continues to fall off in following, the economical part is falling off. We're beginning to see and the pressure is there. And yet, to do the things that God has called us to do in this world, 
his spiritual family. And God will provide, as we say, as we sometimes have said, but he has always done it through his people. He's always done it through his people that he provides. And that's the church's work. You are responsible to help the church develop the ministries outside of the church that will affect the life of others. But the church has come to a place where it comes inside and it only feeds itself, it only takes care of itself, it doesn't worry about anything outside, and God has told us to look where? Unto the fields that are ready for harvest. And somehow we got this mentality. If I just maintain this building, if I just maintain this place, I'm doing all that I'm supposed to do. No. Have to do both. Church, that's outside of the church. You cannot let the outside of the church go because you're fearful of going out there. You're fearful you don't have enough staff. You're fearful you don't have enough workers. You're fearful because of this or that. And that's why God has his church, that when we function, we function as one, and we can do it. We can do it. We can do both. This is what Paul says in that verse as we go on down. He says, for however, I consider my life worthless to me. If only I may finish the race. He says, for my heart, I want to finish my race. I want to finish what God has given me. I want to finish well. I want to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. The task of testifying to God's grace. We think that just because I approach a person and I say to them, you know the Lord Jesus Christ? He don't have a place to stay. He's unemployed. Has a sixth grade education. Nobody's really cared about him, whether he existed or didn't exist. And somehow I think if I ask him, you know the Lord Jesus Christ? You know you going to heaven or hell? I can ask him all kinds of questions, but the question is very clear. Have I earned the right? understand God says go do it. But the church is coming to a place that people don't want to hear nothing from a religious mind or from people of the church because the church does absolutely nothing. Praise God there's a lot of churches that are involved with religion. But all of our churches to be involved, 
not just saving a person, but seeing a person transformed. And that's the process. Not leaving him where we found him. If he got a sixth grade education, we start there, but yet we want to see him develop into what? A very educated young man. doesn't already have a family, he will have a family, but God anointed him and him and him and him to be leaders in their house. To be leaders. And the church's responsibility is to help raise up godly men who will be leaders in their home. We ask the question, why are there so many women in the church? Men will not shoulder their responsibility. Men are just like Adam, the woman you gave him. The man is always looking for an excuse not to be the godly man that God has ordained him to be. And he neglects to get the training that God has in this book for him. And the purpose of the church is to help train that man to be what God has ordained him to be. And sometimes that means going into our pockets and investing in him. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, they're just going to use you. We use Jesus Christ every day. We use him, we use him, we use him. And he lets us use him. The church has to also focus on building men. And the building part for the church is not so much building men in the church. If the men learn in the church, go home and you're going to take care of them. Why? Because the home is the battle place for the man to learn to serve. Eve was that battlefield for Adam to learn to stand and say, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord disallows. This is what the Lord permits. And sometimes that can be difficult in the home. And men don't want to do that. But that's the job of the church, to bring up godly men. But here's the line. Now, women, that they become godly women, not by the way of the world, but by the way of the word of God. And we take the word submission as something that you're supposed to throw out today. But you don't understand submission is a thing of understanding that one volunteers themselves to come under the submission of somebody else. You're not forced to. Numbers chapter 30 is so good that I asked the young man as we were going through counsel, why does God tell the husband if you disallow something that your wife wants, pray. 
He didn't tell her to knock her out. He didn't say beat her, abuse her. He said pray. Because when the head of the house learns to pray and stand up for God and says, no, this is not what God would have for us. And stand there and pray and let God change her heart, not you try to beat her into submission. The church has a job of teaching the value of a wife, of a godly wife. The treasure that a man has when he has a godly woman that is there. And the church has that responsibility. And Paul says, yeah, this is what's happening. This is what's happening to me. But I'm going to go on with it. I'm going to finish the task that God has given me of testifying of the gospel of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of men. Why? This is what Paul says. For I have not hesitated. Hesitated means what? You stopped. You're thinking. You're trying to figure if it's right or wrong. Paul said, I haven't hesitated when it comes to the things of God. I don't hesitate. He said, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you. Now, this is an important verse. The whole will of God. He doesn't tell us what the whole will of God is. And somebody can run to Peter real quick and say, yeah, the will of God is that all will be saved. It is God's will that you totally be sanctified. Body, soul, that every part of your life set apart unto him. Now, what does that mean? When you look at his mouth, did his mouth really honor God? Did these eyes really honor God? What I hear, does it really honor God? See, there, there, there are certain things God would not have me to hear. And yet some of us listen to music that got all kind of profanity in it. We'll listen to music that Boy, somebody beating up on somebody's bee or somebody doing this or somebody's this. God wouldn't have us to hear that. It's God's will that we be separated from one another. It's God's will that I don't hang out with the wrong people. Now catch this. Because you read 1 Corinthians, he tells you what will not enter into heaven. He's not telling us not to speak to those people. He's telling us not to practice what they practice. I don't practice what the adulterers do. I don't practice what the gossip is. I don't practice the gay lifestyle. But he's telling us we don't do those things. But he tells us we're in the world, but we're not of that. Not of the world. 
to get, if they're going to hear our message, we got to get where? It don't matter if he's an alcoholic. It don't matter if he's a drug person. It don't matter if he's dirty. I got to get here. And the church is somewhat taking a back step to that because we don't want to lose any of our holiness. We don't want to lose any of our purity. We want to jump right into it. What does it mean when it says that Christ came down into the Mari clay? He came down into the cesspool. Who was in the cesspool? As pure as he was, it still is. He came into the We gotta go where people are hurting. He came to us. He didn't try to lift sinful earth up to him. He came to us. And we can't hesitate doing likewise to people who don't know him, who are hurting. We can't hesitate. Time is short right now. Time is short. Think of the urgency. Yes, we're small. Yes, we're this. Yes, we're, we have all kind of excuses, but we can do something. We can do something. says simply this, I preach to them the whole counsel. That whole counsel, I believe, is every aspect of life. God just don't want to save you. He wants to deal with every part of your life. Every part. He wants to deal into your marriage. He wants to deal into your personal life. He wants to deal into your finances. He wants to deal into your employment, your employers. He wants to deal in every aspect of your life. The gospel has an effect. And not that whole gospel that Paul talked about. Not just the heavenly, but also the earth. That's why Paul spends so much time speaking about our conduct. Wouldn't it be great? And a lot of people believe this. They can accept Jesus Christ and keep living the way they're living. I can be saved and still yet father four or five kids outside of marriage. No problem. God loves me. I'm under God's grace. I'm on my way to heaven. Somebody lied to you. I doubt you've ever been saved. I'm saved, but I can keep living a life that is totally contradictory to what this word says. Now, I understand there is a time period that has to be seen that the Holy Spirit does the work. But Corinthians 4, 7 Corinthians 5, 17 makes it so clear. If any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Behold, what? Old things are beginning to do what? Pass away. Behold, all things becoming new. Those old things are being removed. And yet, behold, new things are taking place in my life. 
doesn't look like I'm going to be able to finish this up today and I might come back and hit. But I want you to understand Paul taught the whole gospel. Now the question is, what is the whole gospel? Now some people can say the gospel is death. The life, the resurrection, the death, of Christ. But when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about everything Jesus died for. Everything that was between those pictures. And I'm going to include Old Testament to Revelation. And where does that have to do? He wants his people to know his You're responsible to study his word. You're responsible. I'm responsible to do a certain portion of teaching. So anything I say, you are responsible to go home and search it out and see if it's true. You're the one that's responsible to say, Lord, how does this apply to me? Would you regurgitate that in my life? Would you allow it to roll over and over in my life? One of the worst things that has happened within this church is that we're no longer effective with listening. The other thing is this here. Oftentimes what we listen and what we quote, we quote somebody's illustration rather than the scripture. Nothing wrong with the illustration. But the one that you should be touching is what the scripture says, not the illustration. And asking, how does my life line up with what is said in scripture? And then making the adjustment. That's the Holy Spirit in the world He'll never force us to do anything. But he will present to us areas in our life that we need to adjust. Follow him or the world. Follow God's way or Satan's way. That's what it is. The church is here to teach and that you've given us a word that is complete, a word that is holy, a word that can heal us, a word that can put our feet on a solid foundation, a word, oh God, that is able to give us victory in this world in which we live. We wind up being some kind of hopeless people when we have a God who is an ever-present helper and we should never feel hopeless because of your presence with us. Help us to understand that we are a victorious people. We are a victorious church. We just have to want to do what you would have us to do. Would you give us a heart, O oh God, to seek your face? and want to serve you and not self. 
It is not about pastors. It's not about elders, deacons. It's not about anyone. It's only about Jesus. Would you leave all the other stuff out of our life? Could you even take I out of our life? That I'm not the center of my life. I'm not the important one in my life. But Jesus Christ is. I know I have faults. I know we all have faults. I know we fall. I know we're not perfect. But oh God, you said we are your workmanship. Never stop working in us. Never withdraw your hand from us. Never stop, oh God, loving us. Never leave us to ourselves. But prick at our hearts, prick at our conscience, prick at our minds. And Lord, you're the only one who can do that. Draw us closer to you. Draw us closer to you. Draw each one of us closer to you. We don't want to do that. We want to run away. We want to go do something else. But Lord, draw us closer to you. and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. As we start into the communion, will those come?